0: This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com writing excuses. Season 13, episode 45.
2: This is Writing Excuses, Next Level Narration. 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary. I'm Amal. I'm Maurice. And we are getting near the end of this year on character. And we wanted to spend – oh, you're giving me the, the, the pouty face. lip. I'm so yeah. sad. <laughs> I am. Um,
3: this has been so fun.
2: Uh, but we want to talk about kind of leveling up your narrative. Mm. And when we were talking about this uh, early, Mary said, you know, one of the things we want to focus on is you want to get really good at telling – Maybe a more standard narrative first. is probably the wrong phrase for yeah. that.
0: Yeah. So so when you're when you're writing as a narrator, one of the things we've talked about in, in through multiple seasons is um that that there's a lot of different techniques and skills. And and a lot of times what you want to do is you wanna start and solidify a technique on, on kind of the easy setting, which is by writing a narrator who is very much like yourself, who who's lived very similar experiences. Um And then there's the stuff that's harder. Right. And some of those things are things like unreliable narrators. This is much
2: harder to write than a narrator who is reliable. Yeah, let's talk about that. And I want to point out before we do that, um, when we say on easy setting, that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to make a worse book. Right. We talk about this a lot. Taking the thing that is in some ways, particularly with the writing technique – natural for you and comfortable for you, starting with a first person or a third person limited, the kind of standard viewpoints. It's a good place to begin before you try doing something with a really strange, omniscient viewpoint. And it's not that your book's going to be worse. It's just mastering a skill before you level it up. And one of those things that you can try is, as Mary said, an unreliable narrator. Have any of you guys written an unreliable narrator before? Yes. Yes. Let's talk about it. What did you do? How did you do it? And uh, what pitfalls were there? And what advantages were there?
1: Well, because um, this next level of writing is hard.
0: <laughs> really? And, yeah.
1: <laughs> and uh, um, so what happened? How did, how did it come about? So I love writing short stories. And one of the main reasons I love writing short stories is I get to experiment with different forms. And so I can like, it's like failing in the privacy of your own home. Um, and so recently, I've tried this un, an unreliable narrator. So I've only tried this, like within the last couple months, has been me, me trying this. And um, and so the story is a, is a, about this woman who's experienced some trauma and has kind of fractured her psyche. And so she is trying to progress through her 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 current day. I mean, uh, um, she, uh, trying to uh, you know push through her day, while both simultaneously reliving the trauma and healing from it at the same time. Hmm. Um, and so the the story plays with time and how she's perceiving it and, and just events. So, like, the events are happening out of order, but the order is happening in which she's um, experiencing her healing. And so so she's experiencing the story in the in the term she needs to in order to be healed. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was a, a tricky thing. And, and it was one of those things. Now, going around, I've been studying uh, Kelly Link. I'd been, I read, like, a, a lot of Kelly Link stories. Um, just to sort of you know, I'm like, all right, it's time to level up. Who who I need to read? And so she was one of the people who I was studying at the time to experiment with narration, experiment with form. Um, and so, and that's when I just dove into into it that way. And it worked out. So far, so I uh, mm-hmm. my my writers group were were a little mixed on it because mm-hmm. they were just well, okay. One lady said this story is on the verge of making sense, <laughs> which has been my favorite <laughs> criticism ever. Um, but but I know I'm, I'm I know I'm one draft away from having something I think might be really special.
3: Hmm. I love now, that. So the ways in which I've tended to write unreliable unreliable narrators is is absolutely informed by the fact that I've been in academia for way too long. Uh, So I I try to approach them from this idea of almost like um, breaking the fourth wall in theater where you make your reader aware of the fact that they're reading something uh, as opposed to, so so that it it rises to their minds, like where is this information coming from? Um, And you want to make, like I, I want them to, I want them to eventually become suspicious of the person who's talking to them, um, and the couple of cases I've uh, in which I've done it. Uh, in one of them, there, I wrote a story called uh, um, "The Lonely Sea in the Sky," uh, which is about um, a, a planetary geologist who's been working on Triton, um, uh, d- specifically looking at the the diamond ocean, which for for real exists on Neptune. Uh, and, uh, yeah, there's like an ocean of diamond on Neptune. It's like diamond in a liquid state. I am totally Googling this when we're out of the studio. It is so cool. It is so cool. Articles about this started coming out in 2000. Anyways, I won't go there. Point is, um, so she, uh, she has succumbed to this, this illness that is being, that is still being figured out. It's just being called Meissner syndrome for want of, and they don't know whether it's uh, like what the nature of this is—it's a set of symptoms that some people, a very, very, very small percentage of the population, succumbs to, and it seems to have to do with um, interacting with the, uh, the, the the diamond ocean on Neptune material. And she is being encouraged to write a journal uh, about her experiences, and but she is, and she is. She's arguing that she's not succumbing to this when she clearly is succumbing to this. Right. So you're having her, you're experiencing her stuff, and my the the line that I was trying to walk here was that I want you to be sympathetic with this character. I, I want you to sympathize rather with this character. I want you to believe everything that she says, um, but I also want you to see how that is changing over time, and and to walk that line um, of not distrusting her necessarily, but understanding that she is impaired where her own reality right. is concerned. I think this
2: is this is kind of vital to the idea behind an unreliable narrator is at some point it's going to be a part of the story that yeah. they are unreliable. Though in another way of talking about it, it feels like every character is going to be slightly unreliable, mm-hmm. um, and this is this is one of the reasons why we put things in a character voice is mm-hmm. they're going to describe things in a specific way. And you need to be able to get across to the reader that this is, this is the way the character sees the world. And that's going to make them attached to the character. It's what they're going to like about the character. And mm-hmm. in some cases, like when I've done it, I've been very kind of almost hand fisted with the, this character is funny because they just describe things the opposite of what you would expect this description to be. And they mm. will sometimes break the fourth, fourth wall and just be like, yeah, I'm not going to tell you about that story yet. Um, and these sorts of things, sometimes you do it very subtly with just a character who um, over time as you're writing the scenes, the reader starts to realize, oh, they see the world in a certain way and there are just certain things they don't see as I would. Mm-hmm. And
0: that's one of the things when we were talking previously uh, in a, an earlier episode about defaults, that your characters are going to have their own default settings. And if you can figure out what those are, uh, the, the thing about an unreliable narrator um, – that, that can be frustrating for a reader is when the narrator is inconsistent in ways that, that break kind of that character's world. Yeah. Uh, so, so when you can figure out what their defaults are, that's going to tell you the places that they're going to lie, the reasons that they're going to lie, the ways those lies are going to take shape. And they're not even necessarily lies. They are, there are ways that the character is reporting things that may be honest and true to them, but that are not um not representing the way another person would experience that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a story I had a, a a huge amount of fun writing. It was called uh, at the village Vanguard. It was for uh, Mothership Zeta. Um and it was the first of my Afro Future stories. And so it was about this place nicknamed Blacktopia, because I'm so su- am <laughs> subtle like that. Um but the, the, <laughs>
0: do, they, do they there say by my blackness? By,
1: <laughs> I missed out on that opportunity. <laughs> um
0: I just want you to add that to (laughs) something in the future, please. It's it's
1: done. (laughs) done. Um, But the way I chose to tell the story, um, because it's kind of like an origin story, but the way I chose the story, the way I chose to tell it was as an oral history. So I actually have, I, I believe I have seven narrators of this story. And and it's, it's kind of like wow. the, the the you know how, what, what does you know the reliability of eyewitness testimony? We have seven eyewitnesses who roughly tell can tell the same story, hmm. but they're all set telling their version of the story, uh, determined by what they saw or by actually by their own personal biases about what they what this story now means to them. Mm-hmm. And so that was another way for me to just experiment with form and the whole unreliability of of each individual storyteller. And you have several witnesses. All who have different angles on it, trying to tell one one story.
2: Mm-hmm. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week because didn't you just have a book come out?
1: I did. I did. Um, it's the Usual Suspects, and uh, and it's uh, my first foray into uh, middle grade detective novels, um, and it's all about uh, these middle co- middle school students who uh, you know whenever anything goes wrong in the middle school, they round up these you know this group of, of middle school students and like we know one of y'all did it. Um, and that was actually the first uh, – my first time, As especially speaking of interesting narrators, was using narrators who are much younger than I am. Mm. Um, and so it is all told first person um, through the, the eyes and, and mentality of – who is essentially a, an unreliable middle grader. Okay. Well, that's almost redundant, but
2: yeah. – <laughs> <laughs> Let's ask about that. How do you write from someone who's much younger or – much older, has much more life experience
1: than you have. Mm. Well, in this case, at the time, uh, I had two middle grade students. Mm. And so and this is going to sound a little weird, but you know, I, actually I record a lot. Um, and so, like, I, there's times when I'll, I will just randomly record like my kids' conversations, and I, and with the caveat of anything I hear, you can't be punished for. So <laughs> <laughs> there, there's always that I, I throw out there. But I, I literally I'm studying how they speak to one another, how they speak to their friends, and so that I can like just really get uh, into their their headspace. And being a middle school teacher helps because then I just hear I hear students speak all the time uh, to one another and how they interact and everything like that. So um, so I'm so. Uh, that has helped me a lot in terms of staying in their heads and, and sticking with their, their mentalities and their, the way they see the world. And, and But on the flip side, though, like I said, this this is a, a narrator who, as I, I didn't even realize this when I was plodding out the character, part of him being so intelligent, he has like a streak of paranoia to him. Hmm. Um and so now so he 's still making observations about the world, but you realize you know this this dude's a little paranoid hmm, <laughs> you right, know and right. little, little things like that
2: well, that brings us into another topic I want to talk about um writing people whose brains are wired differently than your own
0: yeah, so I just wound up doing that in the uh, the lady astronaut books um elma is uh, has has uh anxiety um she she specifically has um a social anxiety disorder. So she gets really like being the center of attention in a large group makes her really uncomfortable. Um, and I am clearly not wired that way. Hmm. I love being in front of a large group. Uh, hi podcast listeners. <laughs> um, but I, I do know what it is like, uh, to be anxious about something. I have had anxiety and panic attacks. Um, and, and the ones that I was having were because uh, I had been um, sexually harassed by my boss for three years. So it's a totally different circumstance, but the physical symptoms are very sim- similar. So what, you, what I wound up doing was extrapolating from what I knew. I did a lot of reading about what the disorder was like, and then the symptoms that people were listing, I thought about the times that I had had those physical symptoms, um, and also then had to think about ways in which I um, had to make sure that I was I was being cognizant of the fact that her default setting about the way she would react to a crowd was different than mine. Mm-hmm. And I would have to to go in and and adjust that. But I also, I know what it is like to, um, to mask when you're afraid or upset about something. So again, that's one of the things that often goes with that disorder is that often uh, people will seem very calm really super calm and chill because they are masking so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so making sure that I was also representing that, that a lot of the people around her didn't know that she suffered from this. Mm-hmm.
3: I wrote a story called uh, the singing fish for the, uh, it's called the, the Thackeray T. Lambshead cabinet of curiosities. Mm. Um, uh, and uh I, it was it was a story that I was um, solicited for at very very short notice. It was one of those, and it, it was it was a huge break for me. Uh, it was like Jeff Vander, Jeff and Van Vandermeer um, in, invited me to this, and I think I had something like two weeks in which to turn around a story. And um, this was a an, an ekphrastic collection. Like they 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 had a piece of art that they wanted me to write a story for that was appearing in this book, um, and it was literally of like a a fish standing on its tail and and singing while uh, a a very puzzled man looks at it uh, and stuff. So um, I ended up writing a story that was about uh, about critics and art. Uh, but I I can't I'm trying to remember now how this even came about. The one of the characters in the story. It's basically um, a, a story that's a, a a bit of an of a biography of a woman I made up who was an artist who who drew this painting. Drew this painting. Who, who drew this pencil and ink sketch? Um, and
0: uh, well, you do underdrawing before you paint. There, yeah. there you go. Yes.
3: <laughs> um, so, uh, so I wanted to make a story about the artist who did this, um, and I, I genuinely cannot remember. It was th- I fell down a wiki hole. It must have been what it was. And um, I gave her Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Uh, which is uh, a thing where i think people are not quite sure why it happens i think there's um i think it might be a physical physiological thing that comes from having pressure on the brain but your perceptions get fundamentally altered so that um the shapes and sizes of things relative to each other shift drastically so things that are uh, things might seem very 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 small or very 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 big um and Uh, And all I had to go on was the Wikipedia description because I was in a huge time crunch and I wanted to just turn this story in. And I felt really uncomfortable about the fact that I was doing this. But for whatever reason that I cannot now remember, it still seemed like a good idea, partly because I was fascinated by the fact that that this existed. I'd never heard of it before. So I just I tried very hard to imagine what it would be like and ended up writing it into the story, um, but wrote it also from i what i tried to do to make up for the fact that i didn't actually know what this was like um was to have it ironically be in first person be like have her write diary sections where it was her voice so that i could at least have a whole rounded character who had a voice and this was just something that happened to her uh sometimes that she experienced to try and compensate for that lack of knowledge, and as it turns out, one of my closest friends has Alice in Wonderland syndrome, which oh. I, I only mm. learned years after having written the story. Okay. Uh, and I, I like you know, knuckle-bitingly asked, "So, what is it like? And what about this story?" Because he totally read the story, and he was like, "No, no, no you totally got it right. That, mm. That's what it's like." Mm. And like, I can't recommend Phew. this as, <laughs> yeah. as, a, as a method, <laughs> but um, but I think that it was that it was partly just. Um, Treating that difference as, as just one facet of a character yes. i imagined yes. everything else about. And because I'd gotten the rest of that, that tissue there, it, it made it that much easier to imagine what would it be like if this were happening to me given this description.
2: One of the, the tools I love is just going to forums. The internet is wonderful for this. Yes. And see forums yeah. where people collectively get together and gripe about their life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those forums are like gold for a writer because if people are sharing their gripes, you learn so much. Yeah. And just being a fly on the wall and listening, mm-hmm. how what do you get frustrated by when um, that you are uh, – you have this certain way of seeing the world and everybody else sees it differently from you and they complain – you complain about what they don't see? Mm-hmm. Those things, if you guys are doing that on forums, know that you're helping us
1: yeah. out yes. as writers. Yeah. Well, there's another thing because uh, – when uh, when I was writing uh, Buffalo Soldier, one of the early uh, edit notes I got back was, "Well, you ha- have this child; he's neuroatypical, um, but we'd like to hear more from from that from, from that character." And, and I was a little nervous because I was just like, "Well, how am I going to do?" that? I'm, I'm obsessive about dialogue, and so I was like, well, "How am I going to get this dialogue right?" YouTube is an un—I mm. uh, mean that, that YouTube is is like the writer's best friend. And it gets underutilized as far as I'm concerned because I, I Googled, you know, uh, conversa- I, just randomly, conversation with all, all autistic children. There are tons of of, of of videos of mothers who just upload conversations with their autistic children so they can show other mothers, you know, because everybody thinks that, you know, they're isolated and alone. And then this is a good way for people to just go, hey, you know what? We're all in the same boat. Here's what we're going through. What are you going through? It was a good way to just observe conversations and study those conversations so I could, you know, very much just get the conversations right.
0: I'm, I'm going to throw in one cautionary thing, which is that once you've figured out how a character is going to behave, um, it's very easy to take those characteristics and carry them forward to your next work as a default. Mm-hmm. Uh, so don't – like if you've got a character who has anxiety, um, say, you know, I did. Who, she was a mathematician. Um, and one of the ways she calmed herself down was counting things. Right. Mm. Uh, specifically, she would do primes and she would do the, uh, the the numbers of pi. I was working on another story um, and my character uh, was um, on the autism spectrum and also had mm. problems with crowds, but very different reasons, mm-hmm. right? Uh, One of them is all about sensory input. The other is about attention. It's two different things. And I looked at the story after I'd finished, and I'm like, I have her counting things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. This character would not do that. I have made that my default for how a character with anxiety behaves. Mm -hmm. And so you do have to be aware of the the defaults that you can – when you're going to this next-level narration, it's like, oh, a character who lies behaves like, behaves like this. Be aware of the defaults that you are carrying forward from mm-hmm. your own stuff in addition to the things
2: that you've absorbed around you. Mm-hmm. Now, you had also some homework for us, man I
0: do. So we're going to hearken back to some uh, homework that you have already done, which is in April when in Character Voice, we had you do three different points of view, uh, 80 years old, 12, and from a different country. And at the time, we were having you think about character. So this time you're going to do next-level narration, which is that each of these characters are experiencing the same scene differently. So this is the Rashomon effect, Hmm. that some of them are telling you information that the others are not telling you because they're lying. So at this point, you're dealing with two different aspects of narration. One is that these characters are different from each other, so we need to be able to tell that. And the other is, with their default settings and what is important to them, some of them are lying and figure out which pieces they're lying about and why.
2: All right. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write.
0: Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today